Welcome to Supercharge My Practice, a podcast dedicated to helping you build a thriving and fulfilling natural therapies business. Each week, your host, Anil Mustafa, interviews leading practitioners and field experts, sharing proven tactics, inspiring stories, and actionable steps that will help you unlock your potential. Supercharge My Practice is proudly brought to you by My Appointments Practice Management System. everybody and welcome to episode number 11 of the Supercharge My Practice podcast. Today I'm excited to be interviewing the amazing Alicia Crook who is an experienced remedial massage therapist and both bone therapist. She ran a busy regional clinic for 16 years and four years ago she started business coaching to teach therapists the lessons she learned along the way. Alicia is also a best-selling author and mindset coach who assists business owners all over the world on how to run their business with heart and soul, helping therapists become the hero of their own story which I absolutely love. Alicia, welcome. Such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. I've got so much I want to ask you. You obviously have a wealth of knowledge and experiences. So let's jump straight into it. But I do want to start from the beginnings. So paint us a picture here. You've just graduated from your remedial massage course and you're ready to dive into practice. Uh, What was your journey and how did you find your first few clients? I was thinking about this, uh, and my my first marketing campaign I ever did was a good old um, letterbox drop. And I just, in my local neighborhood, because I was working from my lounge room, I just stuck it in a few places, and someone actually called me. But I freaked out, and I hung <laughs> up on him because I'm like, oh, no, what do I do now? So uh, hot tip, if you're going to put out some marketing, any marketing, uh, just be prepared that it might work and people will contact you. So be prepared of how you're going to answer the phone uh, or take the booking online. So uh, for me, I then sort of networked. And because I'm a very passionate person, everyone knew I was studying massage. So in my friendship groups and my community groups, uh, I, that's how I started originally was just people that I knew, uh, that knew that I was a practitioner, that enjoyed the kind of bubbly personality that I have, were like, right, that's the kind of person that I want to see. Um, and from there, it was like the good old yellow pages because bearing in mind this is actually 23 years ago now and I rode a dinosaur to school um, so I had to put an ad in the yellow pages and I would pay that off over a 12-month period and you'd have to put in 18 months before you wanted it uh, so it was fully old school. Yeah, excellent. And the yellow pages actually did work for a short period of time until then it became insanely expensive and it was not returning the amount of investment you were putting into it. But funny story, I actually put out some brochures. This is my very early days. I actually had a couple of um, my therapists that were contracting to me at the time as well, and I was trying to help them grow their business. And I did everything wrong. I got an A4 piece of paper and I put four ads on there. So that ended up all being A5 size, no color, no images, no logos, just black and white text, which is all the things they tell you to do wrong in this day and age. And we picked up about 77 clients from that one tiny little brochure of us walking around, putting these little things into practice, into uh, the households of the local neighborhood. So I think that a lot of practitioners that are coming into the industry now are looking at all of the new, the new stuff. You know, it's all social media, it's all online presence, which is awesome. It's really great for the introverts to get out there and uh, use those measures, but we cannot discount all of those old school stuff. Now, Yellow Pages is definitely not one of those old school methods, but everybody I've been interviewing lately is adapted or built their practice using those old school methods, which I think is you have to put yourself out there a little bit more, but the yeah. results, the amount, the connections, the the new patients flowing into your clinic, I believe is substantially more than what you could typically find online for the amount of work that you've got to do online and, you know, chasing people up and things like that. Would you agree? Well, I would say like, one of my other old school things that we did was I had a yellow piece of paper. So I was just a little bit classier than your white piece of paper. <laughs> and I go yellow with black and, you know, and, and to be fair, my husband's a digital marketer and loves design. So it was well designed, although I did it myself on Word, like a yeah. serious old school. I would laminate this and I would stick it up in the local news agents and I'd go back every kind of three or four months when it had faded 
and you know if you put stuff in a shop window for a while there's fly poo you know like you just like, i need to replace this and update it but it was amazing because we had a lot of where i live we're a coastal town and we had heaps of holiday makers who owned property down here so they weren't regulars in the clinic all the time but they were consistent that when they were down and they came to see us for years and they kind of walked past the new agents they'd take a photo of their of whatever we had available and then they'd just give us a call and so yeah like sometimes having those old school things is great and it can be really really effective yeah awesome now you've been running your business for 20 years now and impressively you built a busy practice with nine staff doing over 100 treatments per week now could you take us through the highs and perhaps some pivotal mistakes you made in your business journey and the lessons that significantly influenced your path to success so I started as a solo practitioner working, I was subcontracting for a chiropractor. So I learned a lot of things. He'd been in the industry and in the area for about 25 years. So I learned a lot of what works really well and what doesn't work really well as well. So then I went out and worked on my own and I just rented a space and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. Like within 12 months, I was fully booked. And I kind of, I talked to my girlfriend at the time and we were like, I'm 24. Uh, I've achieved all my lifelong dreams. Now what? What do I do? Like, I'm not sure what to do now. So I'm like, well, the next obvious thing is if I'm doing hands-on work, then other people can do hands-on work with me. So I hired some team and we ended up treating, we called it Camp Krusty because the place wasn't classy at all. It was like, it was, it was just one treatment room and there were five of us sharing it. We were doing split shifts. So we're seeing between 30 and 40 clients a week. Highly, highly recommend because then when we moved into our big commercial space, we had such a huge momentum of clients coming through the door that while it was a massive stretch because we tripled our expenses, it wasn't actually as daunting because we knew how to attract clients in, we knew how to, I knew how to manage team members and it kind of worked okay. And then in 2010, the ATO changed their rules around subcontracting and it became really, really important to hire. And I had paid my team very, very, very well, which was actually indicative of my mindset at the time. I really wanted to be liked. And so I wanted to make sure that I was looking after these people. The problem was, is that I was nearly going broke because I was paying them all the money and not keeping enough for the business to keep us afloat. And then the ATO said, you actually have to hire these team members. Uh, because they're not deemed contractors. They're not, they're deemed a sham contract. So you need to bring them over. Nobody wanted to work for what was then $21 an hour and fair point. Who would? Uh, and so I lost five of my team in three weeks and they were not very happy with me, even though it was nothing to do with the decisions I was making and everything to do with what I was legally required to do to run my business. So I, I had a situation where I had five team members leave. I had to then treat all their clients while I hired more team and then sort of upskill them really, really quickly. And so I had, and because then they were employed, it was my neck on the line if I didn't get clients in the door. So I know I had a bunch of clients at the time who were also upset because I'd taken all their therapists away is how they they saw it. So I had to work on building client loyalty again. So I had to do a lot of internal marketing to to build that client loyalty. I had to onboard uh, five to, there were seven of them that came on board within a three month period. I had to get them up to scratch, all working really well, busy and rebooking. Um, and I did that within a night, within about 90 days, we were back to seeing over 100 clients a week. And that's really how I started to kind of test and measure a bunch of strategies of what worked and what didn't. And I think part of it was because it, it was like make or break. If I didn't get this working, I wasn't going to be able to pay my mortgage and I was going to go broke. So it was like, just let's give this a crack and work as like, it's probably, it's not, it wasn't a sustainable season of my life, but that kind of six month window is when I learned so much about marketing, about what works, how to, how to build community, how to um, repair uh, some of the loyalty that had been, you know, compromised in that situation and work through a lot of the stuff that was coming up for myself. So that's, that's like the overview of my career, but I'd say that six-month window is what when I learned the most stuff. Mm, that's interesting. We've actually got very similar journeys. I started in my final year of my therapy contracting with a Cairo, and I can unequivocally say that I learned the most valuable business lessons from this chiropractor that set me up for practice success. So by the time I'd graduated as a my therapist, um, he left that building, went somewhere else, and I took over that. Um, two, it was a two-treatment room plus a waiting area. 
And I, same as you, wanted my practitioners to like me. I started them all off at around the 60% mark, which is pretty standard in our industry as contractors, but then really wanted to keep their loyalty. So at one point took them up to 70%. And then when you realize that you're actually not making any money and it it's it's not a sustainable model. So I think a lot of practitioners that come into the industry think that as the business owner, taking such a huge chunk of their wages that you're being greedy, but not understanding that it's costing you every time their clients walk in the door. So um, I think it'd be great for newer students, newer graduates to understand that point of view and that experience and that exposure you get on top of everything else. My percentage included everything, you know, everything was set up for the marketing towels, everything. Uh, But I think it's really important for newer people coming into the industry to understand that the valuable lessons you work in, you know, you learn from being in a clinic. I mean, you just can't beat that. It really sets you up for practice success. So let's talk about how you transition from clinical practice then into business coaching. So I had during that really crazy season of my life, well, before actually before all that started, I had uh, there was a local lady who was doing business coaching and it seemed like all of my mates and friends were going to see her and going to be part of her networking events. And I was like, what are you guys doing? All right, fine. I'll give this a crack as well. It looks like fun. Um, and like I went there and I loved her first session. And I'm like, I'm not just coming to the monthly things. Like what's your all thing? Because I'm I'm either double or nothing. I'm either all in or I'm all out. And I'm like, I'm all in. So I signed up to her, you know, round table, gold package, whatever she had. And I thought I was going to learn business. You know, that's what was called business coaching. That's what I thought I was there to do. The first day we were learning about how we create the world we live in, uh, what it's like to live above the line and take responsibility for your life and what that really means if you're truly being responsible for every result, non-result in your life. And my mind was blown. Like, and what I realized was so much of what was happening in my business was a reflection of where I was at in my beliefs, my experiences, my values, And that if I wanted them to change, if I wanted the landscape of my business to change, that I had to do the internal work first. Mm -hmm. And then the universe threw me my greatest lesson of growth, (sighs) all that stuff that happened in that six months. And because of what I had learned and understanding that, you know, how I showed up in that was how I was going to show up always. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to look back on that season and be proud of how I had shown up. And I honestly say that that is something I can be. I, I I have had to do some work, you know, internally and with some therapy uh, on that season because it was really intense and really hard. And I am super proud of the way that I showed up and took it, like I, I walked people through it as best as I possibly could with the resources I had at the time in order to gain, get them through. So on the other side of that, I'm like, we need somebody that does this for the massage industry specifically. And I kind of looked around and it was it was probably about seven years ago now. And I'm like, no one else is doing this for the massage industry. So what what else? What could I do? And so I started Googling coaching for coaches um, and I just got heaps of like life coaching. And, and I'm like, no, I don't want that. I want to actually how do I become a coach for massage therapists? It's also an unregulated industry. Um, I went and did some mindset training so that I'm actually qualified to do the mindset stuff that I love. And then um, I basically ran a course or I I went and did a course on how to create an online program because I'd spent 16 years in the treatment room doing face-to-face and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I've I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I'm ready to try something different. I want to scale. And I also at the time wasn't sure that people in my local area would be keen to do business coaching, want to invest in themselves. So I thought, well, I'll scale it Australia, like global, like um. Australia wide and see what happens. Um, and so I built this uh, six week course called Fully Booked Without Burnout. Um, and I just took all the strategies that I'd learned mindset, marketing, mechanics, and went, okay, I'm just going to stick that in the course and I'll see how it goes. And I had my first handful of people go through it. And I, you know, one girl was seeing about four clients a week and I got, I spoke to her at the end and I had to go. She's like, oh, I'm seeing about 16. I'm fully booked now. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, that's not meant to happen in six weeks. What do, you, what do you mean you did that? She's like, I'm like, what did you do? She's like, I just did everything. I'm like, what? And I was just so blown away and completely confused because, A, I didn't think people would do everything because it, is try, it was trying to, like, take a shot out of a fire hose. Like, there was just so much in it. Um, and secondly, 
I didn't, I literally just threw mud at a wall to see what would stick, you know, and I, to then see these people start to get these amazing results, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is really cool. And being able to transition that, that mindset that I had learned, first of all, um, and then apply some other actual business principles like marketing and mechanics and, and things like that as well. Um, but I'd say the mindset stuff still, if even now is still my favorite part of the work that I do. Mm, fantastic. All right. So I'd love to know the reasons why practitioners seek you out as a coach and what common challenges that they face. And I'd also love to know how you've helped them overcome those challenges and perhaps talk to us about some of the results that they've seen. You've obviously just mentioned this one person, but give us a little bit more detail. So most people will come and speak to us. There's a few different parts of their career based on what I've just shared in my own experience, yeah? So sometimes a solo practitioner will approach us when they're maybe seeing five to 10 clients a week and they want to get to that kind of sweet spot. It might be 15 for some people, it might be 20, 25, might be 40, depending on what they're, the way that they work with their clients is. And so sometimes they'll contact us because they're like, I just, I, I, need, I want consistency. Um, I want to learn how to charge where I'm worth and I just want to get the back end of my business right. Now, that to me is that's fairly ambiguous. There could be lots of things that they're asking for in that, but often it's kind of I'm just not seeing enough clients that I want to see and I need to learn how to do this marketing stuff. Um, and then we start with things like mindset and people are like, I had no idea that this was actually affecting my business so much. And so, again, similar to my journey, I love that. Um, then we have other practitioners who will contact us because they're ready to scale. And so they're, they're looking at, they're either, they've, they've done, they're about to do their first hire or they've hired a few people and it's a bit messy. You know, it's not working as well as they thought. Their, their staff aren't up to scratch. They're not booking them out as well as they wanted. They don't understand marketing. Marketing themselves and marketing a practitioner are two totally different things. And so we help them to be able to build team culture, create a great environment, uh, and really set the practice up for success. So there's kind of, I guess there's a, a few different reasons why people reach out, but they're often the two places people will be when they're like, right, I'm ready for coaching because I want to, the pain point has gotten to a point where I'm, I can't do this by myself anymore. Um, and so I'm ready to grow and ready to scale. Mm, okay. And so the typical things that people would see you for is I need to get busier. Would that be the common thing? Yeah, that you find absolutely. Yeah. Occasionally I'm so busy and I just need to figure out how to make this a little bit more systemized. Uh, but most of the time it's I'm not seeing enough clients or my team's not seeing enough clients and we want to we want to get better. And do you think that things like client retention are a big thing that most practitioners don't understand the basics of? Uh, the confusion about rebooking, not so much confusion, but the fear of asking clients to rebook. Are these the kind of, you know, mindset, money challenges, you know, personal issues that they have in asking those sorts of things? Are they the typical things you see within that mindset space? Yeah. So mindset will often play out in not very confident. Is way, the way people will language it. So I'm just not very confident to put myself out there. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I think there's, it's, there's only one way to get confidence, and that's just to do the thing. And sometimes you need someone in your corner saying, you've got this, go on, go do the thing. You, you can you've, you can actually, here's the framework, now go do the thing. Oh, okay. Oh, my gosh, it worked. It went really well. Because, I mean, everyone worries about judgment, but really the, the worst thing that can happen in marketing, like the worst thing is that no one sees it. So it doesn't really matter anyway, even if it's rubbish, it doesn't really matter. Um, so when people say they're like, you know, they're struggling with confidence or they're not clear on where they're going. So they're not clear on their values. Um, and it's really hard to articulate to your team what it is that you want if you're not clear on what you stand for. Um, so that's something that we, we work on in all of our courses is how to get really clear and be able to language because if you can't language it, you can't have it. Um, and then there is the, how do I read book without sounding like a pushy salesman? Um, I feel really bad. And how ethical is rebooking? Like, is it ethical to rebook my clients? I, I was told in my course that I was meant to be able to fix this person in one or one to three sessions. And if I can't, I have to refer them on. So, but my client wants to come back. What do I do with that? You know, or, you know, my clients are just, there's lots of shift workers, so they can't rebook because they don't know their shift. You know, like all sorts of excuses like that. That's like, you know, you don't have to sit in that confusion and just drifting along. You can actually make some choices and put some things in place to allow client, like to teach clients how you want them to behave. Now, like you can actually train your clients how you want them to behave. And that takes, um, you've got to be clear on what you want. You've got to have the confidence and the courage to be able to have those conversations. And then it takes time, you know, like you've, 
some people are going to say, no, I'll just book online when I'm ready. Okay, fine. Uh, but I think those sorts of things are important. And the main thing is just telling them what they need. As practitioners, we're the experts, not the patients. It doesn't matter if they don't follow your advice. As long as you've told them confidently what they need, that's all you need to do. If that client walks away and doesn't rebook, they know that the reason why they didn't get the results was because they didn't follow your advice. Whereas if you don't tell them to rebook, they're going to think, A, you can't help them, B, you're not confident, uh, or C, maybe that you just didn't like them. You know, That is something that I see commonly amongst patients that have seen practitioners that didn't tell them to rebook. So it's just about being confident and saying, uh, telling your clients what they need and then le- letting them make that decision as well. I think that's important too. Yeah. All right. So the next thing I want to talk to you about is goal setting and KPIs. I think this is probably a, a reason, like you mentioned, that people do come to see you is because they don't have a clear direction. So can you provide us with some examples of specific and measurable objectives that practitioners should aim for in their practice? Yeah, I think there's probably three things that I would say. Number one is rebooking rate. Number two is um, your cost of acquisition. And number three is your break-even point. So rebooking is understanding, like actually track your rebookings because what gets measured gets done. Yeah, if you know what your rebooking rate is and it goes up or down, you'll know. Whereas if you're like, ah, if you run your business by feel, some days you'll feel really good and some days you'll feel really rubbish. We can change our feelings in a heartbeat. If I reminded you of a beautiful part in Disney, you'd feel really beautiful and magical and amazing. And if I reminded you of a dodgy situation that happened, you'd feel dodgy because of the situation. So our feelings can change. But the data, those KPIs, I think that's the difference that makes a difference is that when you can actually see, wow, you know what, for the last four weeks, I my rebooking rate has been this and that's awesome. Good stuff. On average, in my clinic, our minimum rebooking rate was 75%. Uh, and if my team dropped below that, then I would have a conversation with them because we were a maintenance clinic. Mm-hmm. So they um, would come in for, you know, if we were, we were helping them and it was working and making a big difference, great. Obviously, if it wasn't, then we'd refer on and we had other, other practitioners in the clinic. But being able to track that rebooking rate meant that I then could spend money on marketing and know that our clients stayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because sometimes the, the problem is, is like I spend all this money on marketing and all these great things, and then it's like an, a bucket with holes, the water just falls out. So we want to track our rebooking rate. And like I said, our minimum was 75%. I rebooked 95% of my clients. Like for, I don't know, that was one of the things that chiropractors, they are masters. They so are, aren't they? <laughs> ninjas at rebooking. And so for me, like asking someone to come back in a week's time was nothing because I saw the chiropractor that I was working with get people to rebook five times in a week. And I'm like, yeah, right, well, I can do one. That's that's fine. So I think tracking your rebooking rate is really important. The next one is cost of acquisition. And what this means is what does it cost you to acquire a client? Um, and so sometimes people will just be like, oh, I spent all this money on, you know, Google ads or Facebook ads or um, insert whatever they spend money on. And they go, I didn't get any clients or it didn't work for me. That's often what they'll say. I'm like, so let's track this. How much money did you spend? Oh, I spent $100. I'm like, okay, so you spent $100 on a Google ad. Did you get any clients? I got two. And what do you charge? $120 a session. Okay, so you, you spent $100. You got $220. Did they rebook? Yes. Do they rebook again? Yes. Okay, so you've you've spent $100 and you've gotten $660 ROI. Now, if I had an ATM that was like a reverse ATM and I could take my 100 and I could stick it in and every time I put $100 in it, it would spit out $660, I would be taking as much money as I could and just shoving it in, yeah? So being able to track the lifetime value of a customer allows us to have more confidence to spend money to make it so for example if you've got a client who comes in once and you know that you know even 50 percent of your clients will come at least three times and then you know 50 percent of them will stay on regularly for the next three years it means that your client that you're acquiring is actually worth a lot more to you than just what they're seeing this week and this is where it takes some mindset work to go i'm not just thinking of this client this client that did that thing on the weekend that I do that trigger point work to that then they get fixed, which is the model we're taught, but starting to think more like a business owner, which is if I take this person that's come to see me 
and they put themselves back in a crappy position for the next eight hours or they go back out in the garden, then statistically they're going to need to see me again. So if I can understand that I'm helping with their initial complaint and then I'm helping to work on maintenance to help them feel and thrive and feel amazing, and I'm happy to do that for the next three years, rock on. So it means that my cost of acquisition it might be if, if each client is worth $1,000 and I spent 10% of that or even 5% of that, it means that I could spend $50 to acquire one customer and know that I was going to get a return on investment for that. And so, it, like, I know I'm throwing all these numbers out there. I'm trying to use whole numbers because it makes it easier for me. I like phone maths. It works well in my brain. Um, so I'm trying, I trust this makes sense, but it's like understanding and often therapists I see just think week to week right now this week you know like can I feed my family can I pay my rent can I pay my bills and it's like let's just take a step back from that for a second and go what would I need to charge in order to be able to you know spend some money to make some money and know that it was going to it's not gambling but I know that it was actually a way that I could generate income and the third thing uh being our break-even point is knowing what does it cost you to open your door, yeah, and what does that cost you in clients because I think this is important and I know, like I still remember this statistic from 10 years ago that we needed 35 clients before anything happened that would cover my costs. So all I had to do is I knew that even though we, we would see over, you know, 100, that 35 of them, the first 35 of the week, was my, you know, that's covering the rents, covering the bills, it's paying for our admin, you know, it's doing that very functional stuff. And it meant anything over that, then we started to make money. Yeah. So it meant that even if we, maybe we saw over 100 clients a week and one week we saw 75, and I'm like, oh no, it's 25 less than what's my break even point? Oh yeah, it's only 35. So I'm more than double what my break even point is. Okay, breathe. And so, instead of using that uh, emotional feelings of how we run our business oh my gosh it's working really well oh no it's not my bank account is good and our feelings go up and down with our bank account knowing what your break-even rate is i believe helps us to be able to be really clear have a lot more certainty and freak out less not necessarily never but freak out less because we actually know that this is this is what i need to open my doors every week does that make sense? That is absolutely incredible. I absolutely love everything you just said. I think it was very, very clear, but I do want to go back and talk about client retention and lifetime value. And the thing I want to say is that I, same as you, when you first start, you're a bit icky about having to tell patients to rebook. And it's that maintenance model. You think if I'm a good practitioner, I should be able to fix my clients and they shouldn't need to come back. But I quickly learned that lesson that you cannot be with your patients 24 hours a day. You can't make sure they're having their baths or using the ice or doing the stretches or doing the rehab exercises. Whatever it is that you prescribe to your patients, you cannot guarantee that they're going to do them, one. And two, they're in in most cases, certainly in my clinic, repetitive strain industries, sitting at a desk all day or they're a concreter or a laborer of some nature, and they've got that chronic, chronic stress that's coming into their body. And so... When I was failing to rebook my clients because I didn't want them to think I was a pushy salesperson, I didn't want them to think that I just wanted their money, the chiropractor said to me, if you fix someone and you get them out of pain in the first one to three visits, are they going to go away and be forever fixed? And I said, well, no, because, you know, repetitive strain, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, now, if that patient took one to three visits to get better, And then six months later, they came back. And of course, their problem is worse now. And they're like, it's okay. And you will be able to fix it. I'll just come back. And they come back and they say, I want those same three treatments that you did to fix me. But this time, because the problem has escalated, it takes you five treatments and so on and so forth. They then come back a year later and then they might need 10 treatments, for example. And so the way he explained it to me is if you had just seen that patient once a week, once every six weeks, once every eight weeks, depending on what you felt that they needed or what they felt that they needed, that patient would have actually seen you less over that time than they would have if they had been coming to see you when they're at that stage of pain. And that really changed things for me. That really put it into perspective that I was actually doing the best thing in my patient's interest to tell them what they needed. 
And the other point I wanted to raise was the lifetime value of a client. Now, the first time I did this in my clinic, don't know about you, but it felt so icky to sit down and work out what your client is worth to you. It felt so wrong because I don't see my patients as clients. I see them as people that I was helping. But the reality is that you have to make money in your business. Otherwise, you can't open your door. So understanding the lifetime value of my patients changed things for me in such a massive way because then I realized if my practitioners weren't rebooking their clients, then we were actually missing out on X amount of dollars. So I think it's absolutely crucial. I mean, I do get that it feels icky and I can't say that I disagree with that, but understanding that figure in your business is absolutely crucial. So thank you for bringing all of that up for us. Now, what are the critical metrics do you think every practitioner should know and how can those things be measured? Look, I think um, one of the things I think is really important is to reverse engineer what you want to make as a therapist because I have this crazy belief that you are allowed to make an incredible impact in this world and have that impact match your bank account. And a lot of therapists I speak to are like, I don't, I, I don't, if I could do it for free, I would. You know, I don't, I'm not here to make money. Uh, and the challenge is that going broke is the quickest way to burn out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'll say that again slowly. Going broke is the quickest way to burn out. And a lot of therapists that I speak to that are like, oh, I'm just finding this so overwhelming. My hands are getting sore. I'm exhausted. Are really still only charging those student rates. And what I would say is with some metrics that I think are really important is to look at what would you like to be doing in 12 months' time? Yeah, because right now it's all a little bit scary and a bit intense, but if I go 12 months' time and I go, right, in 12 months' time, uh, on or before this day, I'm going to be, char- you know, I want to be having a holiday. Uh, I want to be sending my kids to a different school. I want to be buying better food. I want to be doing these activities. I want to go do Pilates myself. I want to have regular massage myself. What's all that going to cost? And literally put a number to it. Go, okay, well, blah, 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 blah. And then work out what's my magic number of clients? What's my sweet spot? For me, it was 23. 25, I'd get exhausted and sore and weepy. Uh, 20, you know, less than that, it was okay too. But I kind of, I liked that kind of 23 mark. That worked well for me. And then look and go, how many weeks of the year would I like to be working? It's like, well, I'd like some holiday, every school holidays. I'd like to take one week off. I'd like to take two weeks off over Christmas. Like what, what will work for me? And then so how many weeks a year do I need to be working? And then divide that number by the amount of treatments you want to see rather than, oh, but my my clients couldn't possibly see, you know, it's like, no, you know what, charge what it is that you're worth and what you need in order to create the lifestyle that you want. And I think this is a metric that not many people talk about because so many therapists are like operational blind spots. I don't want to talk about money. I'm not talking about the M word. You know, I just, I'm here to make a difference and I want to make an impact and I'm just a very caring person and I'm not driven by money. No one is driven by money until you're broke and then everyone is focused on money. Mm. So (laughs) reverse engineer that. Do some work around your money mindset and go, what is it that I want to be charging? And then what is it that I want to be making? And then reverse engineer your price because most people need to be charging between 110 and 150 to make this work. Mm-hmm. And the absolutely crazy thing that happens with the people I've worked with over the years, like literally hundreds of therapists, is no one goes broke by putting up their prices. Mm-hmm. But many, many, many people will leave the industry disillusioned and broke because they couldn't charge more in their socioeconomic area. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really sad because when we're charging really well for what we do, not only does it make people value us and value what we do and value our services and value our industry, it also means that you've got capacity for those one or two clients that you know it will be a stretch for. Yeah, like you actually have capacity to support them in what way feels right for you. Whereas when we assume that every one of our clients is part of that demographic, but really there's only two or three maybe, look at how you can serve them and support them by charging what it is that you're actually worth. And I think these are the metrics that is a massive game changer in terms of running an exceptional business. I love that because when you sit down and obviously goal setting is huge and most practitioners don't do this. They don't know how many clients they want to see. They don't have a goal of how many new patients they want. There's These things are really important, but reverse engineering that process actually makes coming up with those numbers much easier instead of just plucking a number out and saying, well, I want 20 patients and five new patients. So that's actually fantastic. 
And and it wasn't one of the things I wanted to ask you, but I will touch on it now because you've brought it up because there is this mindset around the economy is not so great at the more at the moment, interest rates are so high, and so a lot of practitioners are starting to worry that they're going to lose clients because they can no longer afford their services. Do you have any advice for people that are concerned about that financial impact uh, given everything that's going on in the market right now? As somebody who's navigated the GFC, raging petrol prices, COVID, and amongst other things in the last 23 years as in practice, what I would say is that people adjust. Yeah, people adjust their budget. So we had a client in Sydney who was charging 110 and went to 160. Oh. And he was like, all right, here we go. This is what I'm going to charge. And he's like, I call it a UTM or an undetightening moment where he's like, this is what I'm going to <laughs> And he said two, one person said, oh, that's too much. I can't afford it. So he referred to somebody else who was a little bit cheaper who because that person was price sensitive. One other person said, oh, I'll probably need to go three weeks instead of two. Yeah. So often what will happen is that our clients will naturally adjust to their, to what's happening in their budget. It's actually not our responsibility. What I'm seeing is that because of, particularly because of COVID, so many people were not, we, we had such a lack of connection. Massage therapists are in more demand now than I have ever seen in my entire adult life. I agree with that. And I believe that this is a, like, this is one of those cool, you know, an unintended consequence of COVID is that we're now really, really sought after. So I, in a way, I would say ignore the hype, ignore the fear, because at the end of the day, when you stand in your truth and go, you know what, this is what I do. I'm a bodywork practitioner, whatever that looks like, sounds like, and feels like to you, whatever your qualifications are. Think about the connections that you make and the incredible difference you make in clients. People will climb over cut glass to experience that. It won't matter what you charge. And so I, I and I think that if people are price sensitive, they'll just extend their treatments out. Maybe they'll come every six weeks instead of every four. But I'm yet to see a practitioner who raised their rates in any economic climate and went broke. Yeah, like it just, it, it's weird because our brain says, our consumer brain says, but if I put my prices up, no one will come. But what happens is when we put our prices up, people value us and they come more. Like I've had clients try and put their prices up to stop seeing so many patients. They're like, great, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that end. I'm doing something else and I don't want to see as many clients. So they put their prices up like 30 and 40 bucks and in a week, one week, and then get a wait list. And they're like, that's not how this is meant to work. <laughs> I wanted to see less, that's why I put them up. Because putting our rates up and getting more clients seems to actually work together more than, yeah, which doesn't logically make sense, even in my brain, even after all these years. Um, but what I would say is don't listen to the fear. Stop reading the newspaper, um, put the news away. It's not, it's not the news, it's some news. Mm. Um, and surround yourself with really incredible people who are not afraid of what's happening right now. Mm, I love that. I think the part of the problem with practitioners is, is because we're such committed, loyal, wanting to change the world and fix all these people, you start putting your own insecurities in the way of your client's care. So it's not up to us to worry about whether our clients can afford our treatments or not, because you do not know their financial situation. You don't know you know, what they're budgeting for. You don't know what's important to them. The reality is that you cannot predict what your client's spending habits are going to be irrespective of the financial climate. Yeah. Again, it just comes back to that point of just telling them what they need. And if you just tell them what they need, and again, they don't follow your advice, well, you've done your part as a practitioner. So I find it, you know, quite interesting to see all these practitioners, especially in a lot of Facebook groups going, I'm losing all my clients because of the financial crisis. Well, is that what's causing it? It might be, might be some patients have dropped off care, but why have they dropped off care? Is it really because they can't afford it? Or is that an excuse? Yeah. So it comes back to what I said earlier in terms of mindset. If I'm responsible for every result and non-result in my life, if all of my clients stop coming, then I'm responsible for that. So what can I do to change it? Because if it is the government, economic, climate, pandemic, whatever, I can't influence that. There's nothing I can do to make those better, you know, less than the impact at all. But when I take responsibility for, well, what could I do in order to get those clients back? 
or to attract new clients in who are a values match to what I want to charge or what I want to do. It, I found that incredibly empowering and inspiring because it's like, I can do something. I'm not at the mercy of all the things. Yeah. Actually, I get to create this. And I find that really, really exciting. That's phenomenal. I love that. Uh, what are three of your top three ways for practitioners to attract new clients? To attract new clients. All right. So first one would be, Look, I'm going to say networking. Now, I don't just mean your typical networking. What I'm talking about is actually connecting with practitioners in your local area. And there are so many ways to do this and people get really scared and, oh, should I email them? Should I? No, go and make appointments and have treatments with people in your area. Mm, because great. then you get known. And as soon as like, oh, yeah, you're that person. I mean, look, I've got a major back condition, so I'm kind of memorable. Um, and it's easy for me to find reasons for why I need to go and see this practitioner. However... Um, going and seeing them, you make connections because you have to write on your form what to do, remedial massage therapist. Oh, great. They will ask you about it. Yeah, like go and build rapport, go and have treatments every month with different practitioners around and get to know them. Um, if, you, if you're so inclined, give them a call. Like I know, actually pick up the phone and call them. Crazy, right? And invite them out for lunch or invite them out for a coffee and, and connect with them because so many times I think we get scared of like, oh, but what if they, it's like, it's if if you don't do it, it's always a no. It's always a no if you don't ask. Mm -hmm. So give it a call or give them a call and just see how it goes. So number one is I reckon just networking with people, going and seeing them and experiencing them is a great way to get clients in. It's a long, it's called a, like we call that a slow burn. Like it's a long hit. It's not like you're going to get clients in this week because of that. Um Another thing that we do is called Give to Get, which is where you give out a voucher um, with a, um, with the, it's a free half hour voucher with the option to upgrade to an hour for a certain amount. Now, we don't discount very often. We don't recommend it, um, especially not come in for 30% off. You will never get great clients from that because it just doesn't, they, they're not values match and they're not thinking of the longevity. Um, for some reason, this particular deal works really well. Um, they say that 80%, well, not they say, this is what we've discovered, is that 80% of people who have these vouchers will upgrade and 50% of them will become regular clients. Yeah, so it's about the power of scale. And so what you can do is use this for schools, cafes or other places where your clients hang out. And it's, it sounds something like this. Hi, I've got this, well, this is what we say to our clients. I've got this crazy business coach who's telling me to give away like $1,000 worth of vouchers. Can I... Give them to your clients, uh, sorry, to your school, to your staff members to use. And I mean, most of the time you, they're going to be like, hell yeah. I, and what we used to say is the office staff be like, am I included? Yes, you are. All right, I'm in. So can I send you the vouchers and put you put them in the pigeonhole? Yep, absolutely, I can do that. Great. So what you do is you're giving away, it's a free half-hour voucher um, with the option to upgrade for like, you know, $45 or something like that. So they upgrade to an hour. Every time you book, you call them, ask them what their problem is, and say it's probably best that you book in for an hour. So you, you manually upgrade as many people as you can um, mm -hmm. and then you rebook them uh, and then it's a way to, to get new clients in the door. Schools, cafes, um, anywhere. We actually did this with our local council. Um, Geelong City Council is massive down here and I actually organised other practitioners for Massage Therapy Week we used to have back in the day um, and so we had uh, massage therapist available for a month for this deal, for this offer for all of the people who work for City of Greater Geelong and there are about five other practitioners and so I kind of called them afterwards to be like, how many did you get in? You know, And that's how we started to gather the data on 80% of them that booked in, you know, paid for the hour and 50% of those uh, upgraded and, and rebooked and stayed. So it's a really good way of finding your target market, um, discounting for a very short space of time for a very specific person. Um, that's what we found. And I'd say the other, the other thing I would recommend is not so much for new clients out externally, but for using your current database is a similar kind of concept. And I did this once where that I wouldn't do it this way, but I'll share it with you the way I did it was we, I gave out vouchers to every client who came in. For them to refer a friend and their friend got their first massage that they paid for and their second one free. Now, the great thing about that was that I almost, I almost doubled my client base in a month because all of my clients had been raving about me to, to their friends. And they're like, Sandra, you've got to go and see this person. Here you go. Here's the thing. Go do it. 
I wouldn't say do it for free because I was working for a month for free and that really sucked to be me. Uh, but what I did do is buy your first message and get your second one half price. So because of the second one was at, even though it was at a discount, it meant that they were coming for more than one session, which was exactly how their friends would behave. So they were quite used to that maintenance style of care. And we just upgraded heaps of our clients. And that was a, a way that I built my team over time as well um, because we it was just a really great one. So they knew how to rebook. I'm like, right, now I want you to give this. Every single person who comes in for this month, give them this piece of paper. That was a little leaflet that we did up. Um, and then they would get referrals to come in. And one of our staff members had an entire family, mum, dad, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, um, and children. Like an entire family would come in and see her and they'd just book a spot and whoever, one of the family members would rock up um, and she sort of treated them all. And it worked amazingly for that kind of thing. So, yeah. And then those people come in and then they refer other people that weren't part of that original deal and that's how you keep yeah. going as well. Sporting clubs and gyms are the other ones that you didn't yes. mention that I think are huge, which I'm yeah. sure you recommend anyway. And you and I absolutely love the way you frame that because the wording was essential there. You you didn't say I'm offering free massage. You said I'm giving away $1,000 worth of value, right? And then it's yeah. like, I'd be crazy to say no to that. Right. And, yeah. And then you've got to also remember that if you walked into a gym and said to a gym, we're going to give you $1,000 worth of massage to give away to your members, yeah. now that gym has something that makes them look good to their own people. So when you start framing that a little bit differently, like I don't want to come across as desperate, but you're not, right, because you're not saying I'm going to be here for free. You're saying I'm giving away something of value and that adds value to the person also giving it away. Now the school's looking after their teachers, the sporting club's looking after, you know, their members and things like that. And when you frame it like that, it's absolutely genius. It just completely changes the landscape. So awesome advice there. Now I want to talk to you about how to be present for your clients while also managing your business. I know for me, and I'm again, guess the same thing for you. When you first start, you cannot afford to have a receptionist. So I was always fully bu fully booked with a waiting list and the phone would ring between patients and it drive me absolutely crazy because what do you do? Do you let it ring out? Do you not let it ring out? So I'd started getting to that point where I'm like, it's just going to have to wait. I'd have a you know, on the answering machine, sorry, I'm with the patient, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. But there'd been a few instances where patients were ringing to confirm their appointments. They couldn't remember what time it was. And so by the time I got to the message, it was the time of the appointment and they weren't there. And so they would then get angry and then blame it on me because I wasn't there to answer their call. So I think those early days of practice were so challenging just to manage that the phone calls and the inquiries and things that were coming in. Like you, I'm very old school back in the, you know, 22 plus years that I've been in the industry. So this was before any practice management systems existed where clients could actually go online and book their appointments or check their appointments. It's a little bit of a different era, but talk to me about what your advice is for the practitioners who are really struggling to manage the workload and the administrative burdens of running a practice and being present and not taking away the time that their clients really need? I would say, first of all, self-care is really important. Just practically look after yourself first. Make sure you're well hydrated, have really good quality snacks, go and have massages so that when you're at work, whether you are in the reception area or in the treatment room, you are absolutely on your A game. That's number one. Number two, I would say get practice management software. Super mm -hmm. important. Um, like you can't run this day and age, run a clinic where people can make their own appointments. It will change the game. Yeah, super, super, super important. Um, and also having good systems in place. You know, make sure that you've got systems in place that work really well for you. Um, train your clients how you want them to behave. If they're going to get a text message the day before, make sure they always get that text message the day before because if they're used to getting it and they're used to replying, great. Um, I always reckon get them to call you to reschedule if you can because then that way you're more likely to reschedule as opposed to cancel. Um, but, you know, just having good systems, having some really good software, being present yourself. And I think the admin side of things and, you know, and the treatment side of things are two different hats. So we really do have to take our practitioner hat off, go into the reception area, put that down, pick up the admin hat and the business hat and go, right, I'm going to make some decisions. And then 
get really good at removing that hat, go into the treatment room, step into our heart, what does this person need, use that wisdom, use that, you know, the, the intuition that you have, the skills and the knowledge that you have, um, because otherwise you're going to feel distracted and clients don't need that. Yeah, they'll, they will pick it up in a heartbeat. And I think it's really important to be really present with them. And I think part of that is just practicing presence. You're just practicing that presence of being there. I love that. That's actually the reason why we built the uh, My Appointments Practice Management software because one of the things I found hardest was to manage the administrative stuff. There was things that I didn't like doing. There was things that I didn't enjoy doing and there were some things that I didn't know how to do and the time it takes to understand those things was taking away from the things that I love doing, which was being with my patients. And so we thought, well, what can we do that's going to help reduce that administrative burden so that we could actually help practitioners focus their time and energy on building the My Appointment system, uh, sorry, managing their practice and seeing their patients. So that was part of the reason why we built My Appointments. And I think it's something that is absolutely crucial, not even just with practice management systems, but just even having policies and procedures and things that happen within your practice, even having set days of knowing when you should be doing your content and when you should be doing X, Y, Z. And that in itself makes a massive difference in your practice life because everything goes to a plan. And you know that saying, if you fail to plan, you plan, you plan to fail. I think that's something that always comes back to me. It's all about being organized and knowing exactly what you want to achieve out of your week. And then, like you said, that gives you that opportunity that when you're with your patient, that you're just focused on your patient. You're not thinking about, oh, I need to buy toilet paper or, you know, all the other stuff that randomly comes into your mind when you're not focused because you're trying to manage so much in running your practice. Uh, one more question I have for you, Alicia, and that is the final question I ask every person I interview, and that is if you were to give just one piece of advice to natural healthcare practitioners aiming to build a successful business that they love, what would it be? I think discover where it is that you want to go, be really clear in that, and then take consistent action in the one direction. Otherwise, we end up drifting along and two years, three years, five years, 10 years goes by and we haven't been very intentional in what we've done. Whereas when we're really intentional to go, this is what I want, this is who I want to impact, this is how I want to do it, this is the money that I want to make, those intentions and being really clear, I think lead to fulfilment as a practitioner for it, for the long haul. And that's how we're going to raise the standard in the industry so that we don't have people leaving within three years. You know, we have people mastering their craft for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and ultimately, I think that's what, that's my passion is to see people do this for a much longer time than what we're seeing. And I think that comes from being clear on where you want to go. Thank you, Alicia. You have been such an incredible uh, valuable, insightful advice that you've provided for our listeners. So really appreciate your time. Tell us about the Health Leader Co. How can our listeners find you, find out more about you or find out more about your amazing coaching program? You can check us out on our website, thehealthleaderco.com. Um, and we also run a Facebook group called the Massage Business Support Network, which is a free Facebook group specifically for the massage industry worldwide to be able to help them run a great practice. Yeah, it's an awesome little group. I'm in that group as well. And it's awesome to see the advice and suggestions that people are offering to other fellow practitioners as well. Great way to build a community too. Alicia, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here today. Thank you, Anil. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in today and I look forward to having you join me in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest releases and for more helpful tips, look for me on Instagram under the handle supercharged my practice. This podcast is proudly sponsored by my appointments.